The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Okay, so I'm going to invite up Toby. He's going to give our talk today. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Hannah. Hello everyone, uh, so good to have you here this evening, particularly if you're visiting or if you're a guest here, if you're here for the first time, big welcome to you. My name is Toby, I'm the vicar here, and uh, I've just been given some amazing news on my way up, which is that Liverpool won 1-0 against Man City. Um, sorry, Man City supporters. Anyway, uh, that's by the by. Uh, far more exciting than football is that we're here today in this building. This is, if, you, if you're here for the first time um, today, this, this is a very old building. 18th century upstairs, downstairs, 12th century, but we're a new congregation. Uh, four years ago, there was a, a, a group of us who basically felt like uh, God was calling us to Bristol. Uh, some people lived in Bristol already, some didn't. And uh, we had this opportunity to turn this building back into a church. It hadn't been a church since the Second World War. It had been a number of other things. Uh, a brass rubbing center, a tourist office, uh, a storage facility. In fact, this was the archive for Bristol City. So everything from the ancient parts of the city was stored here. Um, and we were invited to turn this back into a church as it had been designed to four years ago. And it's been amazing to see what's happened ever since. We've obviously had a pandemic since then. Uh, we've had a few challenges along the way, as everyone has. But it's amazing to be here in this building worshipping Jesus together. And you may be here thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. This seems very odd and very strange. I understand. It might feel a bit like that from the outside. My encouragement is just to kind of explore a bit what faith might mean. Maybe you've come with someone who's a Christian and say, what is this all about? What's going on here? Maybe you've been here before and you're kind of used to it. But what I want to do tonight is to help us think a little bit about the vision for our church and the role that we can play in that, if you would like to. And the vision of this church is uh, three things. To play our part. It's not, we can't do this on our own. Every other church involved. We're part of a network of churches from HTB in London. We're part of the Anglican church. We're part of the, the global church. But every church together playing our part in three things. The evangelization of the nation, which means introducing people to Jesus, giving people an opportunity to hear about Jesus, who've never really considered who Jesus might be. Uh, that's why we run Alpha. That's what Alpha does. Uh, it was amazing to see 120 people here for wine and cheese and jazz on our launch night. And uh, amazing to see lots of people in the building on Wednesday asking those questions. Who is Jesus? That's what we're looking at this Wednesday, if you're interested. Secondly, the revitalization of the church. 
In other words, turning churches back into full centers of worship, as we have done tonight. Uh, Someone once described an empty church as like the empty palace of a long-forgotten king. People look at the palace and think the king is dead. There's nothing going on there. People look at churches that are dead and they think there's there's nothing going on there. But when churches are revitalized, I was on the door just now and there were various people walking past going, what's going on in there? I said, it's church. Welcome. And they said, church? There was one guy who said, that sounds so beautiful. I'm not going to come in, but can you tell the musicians? It was amazing to hear that. He was a musician. He was carrying an amp and he loved it. But there's something about the flavor of Jesus uh, coming out into the streets. It's an amazing thing to be part of. And revitalizing the church is what we feel passionate about. Not just, this is a church that was revitalized, but also carrying on doing that. And it's really exciting. We've been praying for the last four years since we launched that we might have the opportunity to plant a church, the first church from here. And a few weeks ago, uh, Andy and Katie and a little team of uh, 12 people went from here and they started Concord Church, meeting in the Aerospace Museum. And, uh, and yeah, it's worth, it's worth applauding. It's very exciting. And uh, it's been so encouraging to hear the stories of what's going on. New people coming to church, people who've never considered Jesus before, wandering in, being invited by their friends. And um, just to give you a little flavor, because we can't be there at the same time as here, we've got a little video for you. gives you a flavor of these last couple of weeks of Concord. Fantastic. Um, we've actually got Abby and Noah here on the video. are here live tonight. Amazing. Um, so exciting to see that. So the revitalization of the church. The third thing is we want to play our part in the transformation of society. Now, Jesus doesn't just transform individual lives. He transforms society. And we want to be part of that. We want to be people who can be used by God to help others, particularly those who are on the margins. And that's why uh, we run uh, the food hub, supplying the food banks. Uh, That's why we run Spark, helping uh, those at risk of exclusion in schools. Uh, Begin Well, antenatal classes, CAP, debt advice, fostering and adoption, supporting refugees. All of these things we feel passionate that we should be doing, the church should be doing. So the the question that you might be asking is, what role can I play in that? I guess the question that you might be asking is, maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks, is how can I go from it being, I go to St. Nick's, to St. Nick's is my church? Uh, Someone described it to me once as a bit like a a merry-go-round. You walk in and it feels like everyone's doing stuff and everyone knows each other. How do you get on? How do you you get in there? And my encouragement, the best thing you can do is to join a team. And that's why I was so encouraged last week. 137 of you said you wanted to be part of a team. So exciting. And so we've been calling you and saying, that's fantastic. We'd love to get you involved in all the different teams and ministries. And I'm so grateful for everyone uh, who said that. There are three things that we say. Everyone praying. We pray on the first Tuesday of the month. We pray before the services. We pray in hubs. 
but we also serve. The third thing is a way to get involved is we want to see everyone giving. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've got a huge vision. We want to play our part in transforming this city and this nation. And visions cost money. And so uh, that's why I'm really grateful for this church, because you're an incredibly generous church. Uh, we were looking at the, the numbers this week. 177 people currently give uh, monthly by standing order. Uh, some, it's a few pounds a month. Some, it's much more. It uh, doesn't really matter. What's amazing is it helps us plan uh, our giving and uh, plan our activity based on what you give. Um, others choose to give one-off donations, and that's amazing. Some people choose to do both. They give a, a regular, and then now and again, they will give a one-off as well. And again, we're so grateful for that. And Concord Church couldn't have happened without you. When we were planted here, uh, HCB in London gave us a gift, a generous gift of £50,000 to start off this church. And we felt it was only right that we should give the same amount on to Concord. And we said, right, guys, let's see if we can raise that money. And we launched it six months ago on our last gift day. And I'm really pleased to say that we've been able to give £50,000 to Concord Church. And that's enabled them to get going. And I'm so grateful for all of you who have been part of that. Uh, if you want to know how the, the, the breakdown of uh, the finances go, you can uh, do contact us. You can go online. All of our accounts are public. Uh, we'd love you to, to ask any questions that you have. Now, where do we go from there? The church... Uh, wardens of this church and the treasurer uh, have basically been praying and looking at the figures and uh, they've come up with a figure that they would love us to aim for this gift day. We have these two gift days once, uh, twice a year and the figure that they love to, there's two figures. First is monthly giving to raise our giving by a thousand pounds a month. So if you think about it this way, if everyone who's joined St. Nick's since the last gift day were to try and uh, give a little bit, um, a percentage of their income, we would easily make £1,000 a month in, in new givers. Or, look at it this way, if the 177 people who are already giving were to increase their giving by a little bit, then again, we would get there. And I'm excited to think that together with those two groups, we might be able to hit that number uh, today. The second uh, figure is uh, the one-off figure that we want to raise. And that is for Christmas time. As you know, cost of living is going up. There are huge challenges in our city. And, and all of us will be affected, but it will affect the people who are poorest the most. And we want to be a church that can help those people. And so uh, last uh, Christmas, we did something called Love Christmas, which was basically uh, a campaign to try and uh, do something to help those who are in the, the hardest positions in Bristol. And so uh, what we want to do is we want to send out over a thousand uh, bags of hope, uh, things that we can give to people, practical things that will help them in their daily lives through the food, food hub, through the sheltered housing, uh, through Spark, through the mentoring program, and to help them. In order to do that, we need to raise £8,000 in one-off giving. That's what we want to try and raise uh, today. So that gives you a little context. Now, when it comes to giving, uh, I think there are a few different myths. There are three main, main myths, I think, around giving, and, and particularly associated with St. Nick's. The first myth is this. You may have thought this, or maybe heard this, is that St. Nick's is a rich church. I, I wish, in some ways, that was the case. Uh, we don't actually own anything. We don't own this building. 
Uh, we don't own Baldwin Street, where our kids' work happens. We don't own any um, silver goblets or anything that we could sell. Uh, we, don't, we don't have any endowments. We don't have any backup. We have a small amount of reserve that we have to keep for the charity commission to keep our running costs. But basically, everything we have is in the hands of our congregation. If we want to do anything, it's up to us whether we do it. And I think that is actually that, I say I wish we were rich. Actually, I don't. I wish, I'm really glad that this is the way that it works, hand to mouth. Why? Firstly, because it keeps us accountable. You know, if, if you as a congregation think, I don't think this is the right vision, I don't think, then you won't give. And we'll go, okay, great, well, we'll, we'll have to try and work something else out. What else could God be calling us to? But secondly, it makes us reliant on God. Because we might think, wow. If we want to do this stuff, we're going to have to rely on God to help us. Second myth is that we're funded by Holy Trinity Brompton in London or the Diocese of Bristol or the Church of England. And again, uh, that is sadly not the case. As I said, we were given some startup funding by all of those groups, but uh, we're through the startup funding. Part of it made this building uh, usable and habitable, uh, but we're through that now. It's up to us. We're kind of on our own. And in fact, we give to the Church of England. And I think that's really important that we do that. Because we're so uh, blessed with our congregation. There are many churches who are struggling. We want to be able to help them. Uh, we also want to pay into the Church of England and to help uh, the Church of England do all the amazing stuff that it does. Third myth. That's the last one. Is this. Money and finance are such awkward topics that we shouldn't really talk about them in church. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Maybe you're feeling it now. But I don't feel that. And actually, if you look at the world, if you look at the news this week, there is little else being talked about than money and finance. The cost of living crisis, mortgages going up, uh, the, the IMF, uh, the Bank of England, the Chancellor, the ex-Chancellor, <laughs> Uh, all the things that are going on are about money. So presumably we should be able to have a conversation about money in church. But there is a difference. What I see in the world when we talk about money at the moment is it is all characterized by fear. What's going to happen? I've got to hold on tight to my money. I don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? The gospel has a different perspective. The Bible has a different perspective. The perspective of the Bible is not that the money in the world is owned by uh, foreign powers or multinationals or the Bank of England or the IMF. No. All the money in the world is owned by God. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is not strapped for cash God is not worried. He is the God of all resources. And so when we approach this topic, let's not approach it with fear. Let's approach it with faith. Faith and trust that God will provide. That God knows what he's doing. And in fact, why don't we today, why don't we try and agree together as St. Nick's that we're going to strike a blow against this fearful, angst-ridden world. Where let's be completely counterculture and say, we believe in faith. We trust that God is building his kingdom. And he wants to do it through us. So, 
to our passage today, 2 Kings 4. I don't know if you've read that passage before, but I was reading this passage this week, and it really struck me. There's three things I'd love to bring out of this passage that I think might be for us uh, tonight at St. Nick's. The first thing I'd love to encourage you from the passage is this. Ask for help. Ask for help. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Ask for help, just ask. It is the hardest thing to do. I find it really hard to ask for help. The woman here, uh, the woman's husband, uh, just give you the context. The woman's husband uh, was a prophet. And uh, he was part of a company of prophets, so a group of, of prophets who would wander around under Elisha, who was kind of the head prophet. They call him the man of God. And the husband dies. And the woman realizes, I don't know if she knew this before or not, but she is in debt. The husband was in debt to another person. And this man is calling in the debts. The woman is a widow. She has no rights in society at that particular time, no earning power, no potential. She has nothing to do. The only option she has is her two sons to offer her two sons to the creditor to pay off the debts, to work off the debts themselves. If the, boss is ki- if the creditor is kind, they'll be employees. If he's not, they'll be slaves. This is the desperate situation that she is in. I don't know if you might feel like you're in a desperate situation tonight and no one knows about it. Maybe you're struggling with your mental health, your physical health, your finances. You're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to cope. That's what this woman was thinking. How am I going to cope? What does she do? Verse 1, she cried out to Elisha, help, help me. She cries out to Elisha. I believe I was a lot of um, my education and formation was spent uh, persuading me of the fact that to ask for help was the weakest thing you could do. No one who wants to be strong asks for help. It's weak. I don't know if you had that in your upbringing. Hopefully not. But for many years, I lived with that mantra. I'm just going to keep on going. I don't need anyone's help. I'll just keep on going. I'm fine by myself. I can, I can do it. I've got it together. I reached the age of uh, 29. And my life began to fall apart in lots of ways. A relationship that I had ended painfully. My dad was diagnosed with dementia. And over eight years, he began to fade away. Uh, I had a problem with um, one of my workplaces. Uh, I was working in um, training in companies, running training programs, and it wasn't going very well. And my faith, as a result, was at a very low ebb. I was really struggling. But I had two friends who I was with, and they spotted something was going wrong with me with my mental health, actually. And they said, look, we can see you're not doing very well. Do you want to just talk about it? So I did. I I told them how I was feeling. And the more I told them, the more they listened, the more I told them. And and all this stuff began to come out. And it was really hard because I'd not really done that very much before. I don't know, maybe it's a thing about being a guy, but I don't think it's not just about that, is it? But I couldn't 
explain to them how bad I was feeling until this stuff began to come out. And it didn't solve it. But it was the beginning of beginning to say, I need help. In fact, they helped me find a counselor. They helped me find uh, support. They helped pick me up. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. But it is a horrible thing to feel helpless. And yet it's the most wonderful thing in the world when people pick you up. According to the World Health Organization, global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased 25% since COVID. The hardest thing to do is to ask for help. I get it. You've struggled to know where to go. But I love this Charlie Mackesy uh, cartoon. I think uh, we've got it, which is basically um, from a, a fantastic book. This came out in uh, lockdown. And uh, it says this, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. And you might be thinking, well, who do I ask for help? Well, my encouragement is people you trust, your friends, your family. But if you can't talk to them, come and talk to me. Talk to any of the team here. Maybe you're in a hub or a home group. Talk to them. A problem shared, they say, is a problem halved. It's not quite as easy as that, but it does help. And I would say, don't hold it in. So that's what the woman does. First step she takes is to ask for help. Second thing I'd love to draw out from this passage, an encouragement for us all. Offer God what you have, not what you don't have. Offer God what you have, not what you don't have. What happens in this passage? Elisha replies and says, how can I help? He says, tell me, what do you have? The woman says, nothing. Nothing at all. What part of bankruptcy do you not understand? I've got nothing. He says, oh, nothing, really nothing. She says, nothing, except for some olive oil. He says, what? Say that again. Well, nothing except for a little jar of olive oil. Great. Give me the olive oil. We'll use that. Can you imagine? She'd be like, what on earth is this guy on? Olive, what's, how, how's that going to help? The thing is that God uses the little that we have. He doesn't require us to be sorted out. He doesn't require us to be better than we are. He doesn't require us to be different people. And why don't we all agree together today? Because if we're going to play our part in this vision, let's get over the fact that we're not maybe the people that we think that we should be or other people perceive us to be. Don't say, I, I'll get involved when. When my life's a bit more sorted, when I've sorted out my course, when I've um, got a bit more money in the bank, when I'm earning uh, X amount of money, uh, when uh, I'm feeling a little bit more excited, when, if you do that, it'll never happen. My encouragement is don't wait until another point. Start now. I remember when I was a student, a fresher, I walked into the back of church. I brought a friend who didn't come to church. I was so excited to bring them. And uh, they said at the beginning, they said, uh, welcome, this is our gift day. And my heart sank. 
I thought of all the Sundays to be bringing a friend. And maybe you're in that situation right now as we sit here today. I'm so sorry. But my heart sank. And I thought, oh my goodness, of all the Sundays, this is a nightmare. I'm going to leave. Anyway, the the person who began to speak began to talk about the excitement and and wonder of generosity. You know what? It was actually quite good. I began to listen. I found, this is amazing. My friend said to me, this is quite good. I said, yeah, it is quite good. And they talked about generosity. And one of the things that they said was uh, Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller, multi-millionaire at the time, uh, amazing philanthropist who gave away a huge proportion of his income. He said, I would never have given away any of my money if I hadn't given out my first pay packet. He said, I did it with my first when I was earning absolutely nothing, and it's carried on since there. Don't wait to be in a better position. Start now. But what I love is that even when we offer our tiny amount like this woman does to Elisha, God loves to take it and do something with it. One of the things I loved most about the pandemic was the temptation for the whole nation to hunker down, to watch Gogglebox or whatever, and just spend ages and ages not thinking about anyone else but ourselves. But what happened? The opposite happened. People began to say, there are other people in need who are much worse off than me. I want to get involved. We saw this, you know, clap for carers. We saw uh, appreciation for the NHS. We saw uh, people um, doing amazing things on their streets, neighborly initiatives. We saw people investing money. Our food hub came out of the pandemic because there was a desperate need for food in the city. You know, it's actually in the times of need. You may feel like this is a pressing time at the moment, and it is in many ways. But God is calling us to say, why don't you give? to see help for others. I love it. This, this year, 2,000 recipe bags given to our shelter housing product, projects. Uh, 1,360 families have been supported in the past year. Uh, 5,500 uh, 5, meals. But you know what? It's not really about the money, is it? At least it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus, at one point, is watching someone going putting money in the treasure, in, into the, um, the offering in the temple. And he's watching. Why is he watching? That's a strange thing to do, isn't it? To go and watch people in the temple putting money in. And there's this old widow, a little bit like this one that we've seen in this passage, who goes in and puts a little coin in. And he says, that woman has given more because she's given more proportionately than all of these rich people. And then he says, "From, from where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, he doesn't really mind about the money. All he wants is your heart. Because giving is an overflow of the heart. You know, Concord, people said we should plant this church. I thought, that's a great idea when the pandemic's over. Let's get back to where we were before the pandemic, and then we'll plant a church. And everyone said, no, we need to go. Andy and Kate said, no, no, we're ready. We feel God's calling us. You know, in in some ways, it was a stupid idea. In very, just some ways. The, the main thing is, it's a brilliant idea. But it, it, was, it was really challenging for me to think, should we do this or not? So here's my encouragement. Give as much as will make you trust Jesus a little bit more. For some, giving 1% of your income is a huge stretch. For others, to give 10% of your income you won't really notice it. Maybe it's more like 30 for you. Yeah, Jill and I, uh, we reassess our giving uh, every gift day. 
And I'll be really honest with you, last gift day, we stretched a little bit more. We try and stretch every time we have a gift day. And I thought, we've reached our elastic limit. I don't think we can do any more. And I remember thinking, right, next gift day, we're not going to do that. And as I read this passage, I felt God challenging me again. I said to Jill, I think we need to give more. She said, I do too. The question is not really about the amount. It's about our hearts. So, offer God what you have. Just what you have. Not what you don't have, what you wish you had, but just what you have. And thirdly, third thing to draw from this passage. Trust God to multiply. Trust God to multiply. Elisha spots this jar. And he says something must have been really weird to hear. But he says this, verse 3. Go around, says this to the woman, and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. What? Why? That's weird. Why am I going to do that? Don't just ask for a few. What, so I've got to go around to my neighbors and ask them for as many jars I can find. Yes, and get your sons involved as well. Send them out. So they, what they do is they go around to all their neighbors, knock on the door. Have you got any jars? Jars? Yeah, jars. Can you, we have some jars. We just need to borrow your jars. Get some jars. Have you got any jars? Have you got any jars? Have you got... Oh, I can see a Nutella back there. Could, could we just have that one? Could we have that jar? Just as many jars as we can. We put them inside our house. And then Elisha says, now pour out the oil. And she begins to pour it into the first one. And it goes up to the top. It's a bit weird. She goes on to the next one. It keeps going. And keeps going. And keeps every single jar that she's gathered from all her neighbors is full to the top. It's only when they run out of jars that the oil stops pouring. What a miracle of multiplication. But it's weird maths, let's be honest. Because, uh, I don't know if you're uh, good at maths. (laughs) Take him out. (laughs) The bouncers are onto him, it's all right. Uh, My son, Barney, uh, is four. And he's just getting into maths. He's in reception. And we've been trying to do a bit of maths at home to help supplement so that he's um, top of the class, really important. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We, need to, we, need to be top of the, we just want to help him. So basically, uh, uh, I said to him yesterday, I said, Barney, I just thought, yeah, I don't know if you've been taught subtraction. I said, I said, if I've got two pounds in my pocket and I give you one, how much have I got left? He said, one pound, daddy. I said, brilliant. I said, what if I've got four pounds and I give you two? How many have I got left? He said, two pounds. I said, brilliant. That's exactly how subtraction works. He said, Daddy, I've got one for you. I said, okay, great. He said, if I've got confinity, I don't know what that is, confinity pounds in my pocket, plus 40,000, plus 10 and 100, and you take 14, how much have I got left? (laughs) I was like, I have no idea. I can't follow that maths. Anyway, The point is, maths like that, we all learn how subtraction works. Here, this is a very different way of doing maths. What happens if you've got a jug of olive oil and you pour out half? How much have you got left? Half. Wrong. It's full. What? Okay, well, okay, uh, feeding of the five, there's a little boy, he's got five loaves and two fish. His mum sent it off with him. It's enough for his packed lunch. So one packed lunch feeds how many people? One person. Wrong. Five thousand. What? But actually, uh, if they're fed all those 5,000 people, how much would be left at the end? Well, none. No, wrong. 12 baskets full. Okay, fishing. 
uh, you're fishing, you haven't caught anything all night, and you put down your nets, how many fish are you going to get? None. Wrong. 153 fish. God does not operate in the ways that we do. We love to talk about subtraction. We, that's what the whole of our media is about at the moment. God loves multiplication. And you might be thinking, well, hang on, how does he do that? I don't know, but he seems to do it. And I'm really excited because I think that if we pray and think and contribute, whatever the small amount is, I'm trusting God that he'll take all of that stuff and he'll multiply it and make it effective in bringing hope to many people. Finally, did you notice who is the person doing the pouring, the miracle of pouring? It's the woman. It's not Elisha. It's not the man of God. It's this woman. She participates in the miracle as she begins to pour, so God begins to multiply. And that's what God loves to do. He loves to involve us so we can say, this is fun. I love this. I want to do this more because the effect on me. This woman was able to sell that money, pay off all her debts, and she had some left over. Sometimes we think, if I give away, I'll have less. No, God will bless you. He'll, he'll look after you. He promises. Philippians uh, 4 verse uh, 19 He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He'll look after you. But then he also says uh, in Luke, uh, he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure poured into your lap. In other words, you can't outgive God. Why do any of this stuff? Well, it all comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? When he was on the cross, he poured himself out fully for each of us. He was there saying, it's all yours. Philippians describes that as Jesus emptying himself, pouring himself out for you, for me. It's the heart of the gospel. But you know what? When we begin to pour ourselves out, God replenishes. He fills. He multiplies. And one of the things he loves to do is to work in us, like this woman, and through us, through his spirit. Joel prophesies in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out, there's that language again, my spirit on all flesh. In other words, as we open ourselves, we offer what we have. The Holy Spirit fills us like olive oil to overflowing. And so we're effective, not just in our giving, but in our lives as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when it comes to money, you are the expert Thank you that all of it belongs to you. Everything we have is yours anyway. But thank you that you love to use us to multiply it. So, Lord, we, we want to ask you for help, first and foremost. Thank you that you care for us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
And then we want to offer up what we have, the little maybe that we have. And we trust you that you will multiply it. And we pray today, Lord, that we would see a miracle of multiplication, that we would see many in this city come to know you for the first time, many churches in this city brought back to life, and many lives across this city who are in pain or in distress, in poverty, lifted out and given hope again. In Jesus' name, amen.